Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy poured beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. What's up, guys? Thursday special podcast. As promised, we have Aaron Fitt of D1 Baseball on as Two weeks from Friday, that is tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, is the start of the college baseball season. Ole Miss opens up with top-ranked Louisville, according to D1 Drankings. Really appreciate Aaron's time. One of the nicest guys you will ever meet. He's covered college baseball nationally for a long time. I would encourage you to subscribe to D1 if you have not already. They do tremendous work. They are the go-to source for national college baseball coverage. He, Kendall Rogers, a couple of the other guys they have on staff there do tremendous work. I would encourage you to look at it. The uh, scoreboard package is worth it alone. Uh, you can get all these scores from college baseball all the time, live updated. But we got into some different stuff. We started with Ole Miss because obviously that is kind of the central focus of this podcast, despite the tangents that Borky and I get on sometimes. We talked about the right-handed heavy bullpen, kind of what to expect for Doug Nikhazy transitioning to Friday nights, what to expect from Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel, a couple of the young pitchers that might round out this four-man rotation or at least seem to be the leading candidates, what the outfield may look like. And then we kind of went elsewhere. We got into, I think, a little bit of Mississippi State. We got into the SEC. As I was trying to explain to you guys on Monday's show or whenever we've talked about college baseball, you say it every year, but the SEC is absolutely stacked, and this year is no different. It, it, from I mean, Aaron's covered college baseball way, way longer than I have. But like just from my memory, in terms of top-level arm talent, this is about as good as the league's ever been. We got into that some, what the threshold is will be for making a regional, and if that norm will be kind of bucked or there has a chance for it to be bucked because of the quality of the league. We got into uh, kind of college baseball around the country, some contenders outside the SEC. Really good interview, really smart guy. He's always super generous with his time, and I really appreciate it. So uh, hope you guys have a happy Thursday, and be sure to submit your mailbag. Friday questions, I'll remind you again at the end of this. But without further ado, here is Aaron Fitt. All right, we now welcome on Aaron Fitt, recurring guest, friend of the program, uh, Aaron, national writer, editor for D1 Baseball, the comprehensive go-to source for college baseball nationally. I imagine most people and all people listening to this podcast know what D1 is. You should definitely go subscribe to it. They do great work. Uh, Talking to Aaron in late January can only mean one thing, and that is college baseball is around the corner. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am excited to. Uh, I went and saw uh, Mike Bianco's shining face at the ballpark last Friday. First time I'd been out there in a while. I, I was excited to kind of get back, back at the ball yard again. It's it's hopefully close to warmer weather and baseball season again. Yeah, it's uh, it's just about go time now. I'm I'm ready to get this show on the road. I, we were talking a second ago uh, before we started recording. I was kind of saying this is really like I mean. Kind of do, kind of putting the hay in the barn at this point, and then for you guys from travel perspective, I imagine it's uh it's full go pretty much uh, here in a couple of weeks. Where are you at opening day? I'm going to be right there in Oxford. Actually, I got uh, what Louisville and uh, Ole Miss for the first week, and then I'm heading back down there for uh, Oregon State in Starkville in the second week. So, uh, first two weeks in the Magnolia State for me. Awesome! I uh, I didn't know that. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, we uh that's been. 
some good the basketball teams here have in this state have kind of struggled so that's been some good content fodder for us is you have two marquee series in the first week and that's probably a good place to start let's just start locally and uh for the purposes of this show uh, Ole Miss you know it's an interesting team it to me it feels a lot like the 17 team where you had this big highly touted class come in you're replacing a lot in the lineup you felt pretty good about how they were going to pitch it and it's just a matter of those kids are going to hit. And, you know, in 17, Kessinger struggled, Diller struggled, Zabowski struggled to some degree, and they, they kind of limped along and just missed the postseason. What, what, do you, what is the sense you kind of get from this team from talking to Mike and, and everyone else? I think that's a pretty good comparison. I mean, certainly uh, it's a much less proven lineup than they've had in recent years. And as that, that much ballyhooed 17 class kind of matured, um, you know, it's just, like you said, the next kind of wave for them. I mean, the group that was brought in to replace those juniors, they knew they were going to lose. Um, and so we'll see how these guys do, you know, right out of the, the gate here. I, I think Hayden Dunhurst is going to be a great player, uh, a star, you know, in that freshman class behind the plate. And um, certainly there's a lot of other talented pieces that are going to get opportunities, you know, like a, a Cade Sammons or a, a Peyton Chatonier or, um, you know, Connor Walsh, some of these, these young guys that have a lot of ability. Um, I don't know necessarily, you know, um, that these guys are going to jump right in and, and hit the ground running in the SEC. I mean, there are going to be some growing pains um, for some of those young young bats. There usually are. It takes a really special hitter to, you know, hold your own as a freshman in the SEC. But um, I do think with, with uh, Tyler Keenan kind of anchoring this thing, uh, Anthony Servidio, who I think is going to have a really nice year now uh, as a junior and um, you know, the Elkos and the Grams and the Benches, these guys that have been around a little bit, um, those guys should be able to keep this lineup afloat. And, and certainly, you know, there's a lot to like on the mound. So it's, it's an exciting team. I, I could see it, um, you know, going through some growing pains, but I think the upside is, is pretty fun. Yeah, and I think you nailed it with talking about kind of how they they flesh out the middle of this lineup around Keenan. I, I think probably the biggest difference with this club compared to that 17 one is you it seems like they have a couple more juco guys that sometimes come in a little bit more polished and ready to go than some freshmen whether it's a leatherwood a kale baker dunhurst you know, what have you and so they, if, if if you're an old miss person listening to this i imagine uh, that would be more reason for optimism for them to kind of make a more seamless position i mean, transition to this lineup but i think the middle of the order is key because i think this team does have some athleticism it has some speed, and there's two guys in my mind, I think, in terms of like how this season will go and if they're able to produce enough runs. And I think it, they finally got to make or break with Tim Elko. Like They've got to kind of finally see what they've seen in BP and past falls, and he's got to produce. And then I think it's on one of the newcomers, whether it's Leatherwood, Baker, or Dunhurst. Like To me, two of those four guys seem pretty key in terms of whether there's going to be a huge dip in run production or if or if they kind of keep the status quo. Would you agree with that? Because they, they do lose a lot in the yeah. middle of that order. Yeah, no doubt. A lot of veteran at-bats, and, and I think you nailed it. I mean, those are uh, those are really important pieces that you just mentioned. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, first of all, Baker is a guy that I, I really like. I don't know exactly where he's going to fit in here. He's more athletic than you think when you look at him. I mean, he kind of <laughs> looks like a, like a Sykes Orvis. That's you know, perfect clone. comparison. He's, he's that kind of a... Yeah, is that kind of body type, but I think he can be that kind of a performer for Ole Miss. I think he can be a really nice kind of little bopper there in the middle, and he actually moves around okay. I mean, you know, maybe you, you DH him, but maybe he winds up um, 
somewhere else on the field. There's a chance, and and, and Leatherwood, I just think, is going to be one of those kind of hit machine guys. You know, he's a, uh, a left-handed bat, controls the zone, nice kind of gap-to-gap stroke. I've seen this kind of doubles guy um, that uh, uh, could hit for some average here. So it's another nice piece, but they really do need a lot out of out of Elko, particularly. We've been waiting for it with this guy. Um, you know, he looks the part. He's, he's a big physical man, six foot four, and strong, and can run. Um, he can defend on the corners. I mean, really, wherever you want to put him on the corners, uh, and he just hasn't quite put it all together yet. And now he's got some reps under his belt, and the time is now for this guy. You know, and, and uh, I think the track record at Ole Miss is pretty good when it comes to development. Usually, when they've got a talent like that, and even if it takes a couple years, come that junior year, it tends to click. Um, so I, I believe that he's going to take the, the step forward that he didn't take. And the the one we start, I'm starting position previews and stuff. I think at the end of this week, and the one that's really probably just going to give me nightmares is the outfield because it it seems fairly wide open. I, I think they they have a couple guys in mind. You know, in center, you've still you've got the interesting kind of combination of the two athletic football guys, but that seems to be wide open. It'll be interesting to me to see how Mike kind of balances speed and defense versus whether he's trying if you know a couple guys like the Dunhurst or if it's Kevin Graham or whoever just finding a place for them because of their bat I think that's kind of an interesting storyline for Ole Miss to watch coming in but just transitioning on the mound before we kind of bounce around to some other stuff Ole Miss is an interesting team on the mound because you I think you're I think the rotation is fairly set I could be wrong but obviously you've got Nikhazy you've got Hoagland and then I think it's going to be Derek Diamond I think Drew McDaniel and maybe another, I mean, there's one or two guys on the outside, Greer Holston maybe, but I think that's pretty set that it's probably Diamond to start. It's interesting, you've, Ole Miss in particular has seen a lot of guys thrive in that Saturday role. I mean, Nikhazy was the most invaluable piece on that club last year. Like, they wouldn't be where they were without him. And I'm thinking Christian Trent, I'm thinking Etheridge two years ago. It's a different move going to Friday nights in the SEC, and while... DeCasey, smart pitcher, good stuff. It's not necessarily the plus stuff you see from these guys that are top two-round picks, top four-round picks. He'll be going against every night. How do you see him making that transition to Fridays to Saturdays? Because it is a very different mindset, in my opinion. Yeah, it is a different mindset. But in, in some ways, um, you know, there could be an advantage because you're, you're not pitching in the daytime as much. You know, and, and frankly, if you talk to hitters, uh, it's a little bit easier to hit in the daytime. You just you actually do see the ball a little bit better. And um, I remember, you know, when, when Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer were both at UCLA, um, you know, John Savage always kept Bauer on Saturday, partly because he thought it was a harder job, it was a harder assignment to pitch on a, a Saturday during the day. Now, certainly in the SEC, you play plenty of Saturday night games also, but um, I, I don't think it'll be any issue for Nick Casey to slide into that. Uh, that Friday role. He's just a competitor, a warrior. And no, it's not the most electric raw stuff you're going to see going around the SEC. There's a lot of guys with enormous arms. You know, when you look at a Emerson Hancock or a Garrett Crochet or a Carmen Majinski, I mean, uh, Asa Lacey, it, it's ridiculous, uh, the frontline arms in the league. But um, he's going to compete and give his team a chance to win. You know, you don't, you don't have to outstuff somebody. You just got to outpitch him. And he can outpitch him. So uh, really not concerned about about that piece. He's just a, he's a winner. Um, and the stuff plays. I mean, that breaking ball is a legit pitch, obviously. He's left-handed. Um, got a little bit of funk, a little bit of uh, tempo to him, and uh, attacks the zone, you know, locates. All that stuff really matters. 
two freshmen, McDaniel and Derek Diamond, I, I, they're going to play huge roles. I think they both probably end up starting. Uh, McDaniel may come out of the pen depending on what – Mike's got an interesting bullpen. That was kind of my next question. But what? just real quick, what, do you, what have you seen, heard from Diamond and McDaniel so far? Well, I saw both those guys back in the fall. Uh, it was early in the fall. I think it was only the second scrimmage of the fall for Ole Miss. But I liked what I saw. And you can see why Ole Miss is excited about these guys. They're both – you know, good bodies, projectable, arm action really works for both of them. Um, I think I saw Diamond up to 91 miles an hour and throwing strikes, and uh, uh, I liked the feel for the change-up and the slider and, and a little slow curve for kind of a change-of-pace pitch. So I think he's a legit four-pitch guy, and I think there's more velocity in the tank, too. Uh, typically with those freshmen um, in the fall, you don't see the best velocity because they're still getting used to that college weight program and everything. So I think Diamond, uh, as, as we get into it, you could see 94 from him. Uh, come springtime. And then McDaniel, you know, the guy that, uh, again, in that first look, uh, he was 92-93 for me, you know, in the fall. Uh, and I know Bianco said back then he's already been up to 95. So, obviously, the arm strength is, re- is really there. Um, you know, he can spin that breaking ball, tight rotation on it. Um, you know, you look at the track band numbers on that breaking ball, it's good. So, I think with those two pitches, I can see him being a real weapon um, in the late innings if they choose to use him that way. But, uh, it sounds like he's got the pitchability maybe where, yeah, you could start him midweek or even on Sunday if, if that's what you want to do. Lastly, it's a really interesting bullpen because they're going to have a good closer in Miller, but it's going to be so drastically different than Parker Caracy in terms of how he gets guys out. I'm actually really looking forward to kind of seeing how just differently that looks. But I was looking through the roster the other day to make sure I didn't have this wrong. They've got two left-handers on the roster. I think Trey LaFleur can pitch left-handed, but I don't know if he will yeah. this year. Uh, and one of them's Doug Nikhazy, and the other one's Jackson Kimbrell. I don't know how and he factors in, but with such a right-handed heavy bullpen, do you see that as much of an issue? I mean, obviously, probably you know no matchup flexibility, but just how big of an issue do you see that? Because they do have guys coming back. It's just a lot of right-handers. Yeah, and that's definitely a little bit of a weakness. Um, and, and I think because of that lack of left-handed pitching, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Trey LaFleur get up there and focus more on pitching than, than being a position guy early, especially since they have depth in the outfield. And, and he's a great athlete. You know, you'd love to get him out there on the middle of the diamond and run around, but maybe let let his bat mature a little bit and put him on the on the bump, you know, just because he can run that thing up to the low 90s. And, um, I think there's some feel for the secondary stuff. I don't know how the command piece is developing for him, but I think that would be a, a nice little kind of X factor uh, is, is trailer floor. But, um I do like the right-handed options that they have. You know, there's, there is depth here. I mean, certainly Miller, like you said, is a different look um, than you're used to seeing with Teresi, but he's a guy that has a lot of experience and some funk to him and good life on the fastball, you know, it's not big velocity. Uh, and I think with, with Tyler Myers and Taylor Broadway, there's three nice veteran pieces that all have stuff. Um, you know, Broadway, again, up to 93, you can spin it. Um, you know, Myers, it, it's, uh, it's a different look. At, uh, I think compliments those guys well. So um, I, I like those three pieces. And then you throw in some of the younger guys, you know, the, the West Burtons and, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Braden Forsyth gets into the mix. Um, you know, there's, there's some, some, some pieces here that they can mix and match with, even though they're mostly right-handed. Jumping around, I, I, everyone loves to say this every year about how loaded the SEC is, but I, as you know better than anyone, I don't remember out the last time it, it, at least on paper, has looked this fierce. Just a, a quick description of what it will be like going through the SEC this year. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> it is every year. We say the same thing every year, but it, but it always lives up to the billing. It's just, 
You know, all these programs are so invested in baseball. Um, and trying to break down the league in the preseason is hard because, you know, you look at all these teams and there's, there's things to like about all of them. I mean, I look at Alabama. I picked them to finish in last place in the league, but um, they're better. I mean, they've definitely upgraded their talent. They're going to be better this year. But who do you jump? You know, I mean, uh, the, the next team ahead of them in the West is Ole Miss, and they're in the top 25. Yeah, exactly. You know, in, in the pecking order for me, and then all the rest of the teams are ranked in that division. So, you know, there's not a lot of room to move up. And then on the East, of course, you got three teams uh, at the top of the East that are all in the top five of our preseason rankings with, with Vanderbilt, Florida, and Georgia. Um, I think South Carolina was right there strongly in the mix for the top 25 for us. I think they're going to be a lot better, uh, a lot better this year. Uh, certainly feels like a regional team for me and, and, and a team that could jump up and make a run to hosting. You know, they, they have a lot of talent. It's just a matter of some of those, those transfers coming in and shoring some things up. Um, but, you know, Missouri, not always will for a regional, uh, but, boy, they got arms, man. I mean, their pitching staff is very intriguing. And, um, Kentucky's very offensive, and, and Tennessee – uh, you know, finally made it through the regional last year, and, and you know they lost a good number of key pieces. But uh, again, there's talent there. You know, Tony Vitale has done a really good job, kind of restocking the cupboards. And you know, we talked about Crochet as a potential top ten overall pick. And um, you know, there's uh, Al Solari, who's a first team All American for Tennessee, leading the offense. So you know, they're kind of a wild card team. I don't really know what to expect from them, uh, but uh, all those teams are dangerous. Every one of them. Is in ter- is, does this year remind you of any year in terms of the top-shelf arm talent? And it's a hard question to answer, and it's very subjective. Because, as you mentioned, it's this way every year. But, I mean, it seems to me this year. I mean, you go down the line, you mentioned it. Lacey, uh, Hancock, Wilcox, Rocker. I mean, Crochet. You, the list goes on on and on and on. I mean, in yeah. terms of top-level, te- like, Friday night arm talent, I mean, it, it, does this remind you of any year in particular? And JT Ginn, you know, who's already yeah, been exactly. a, a first round pick, and Tanner Burns at Auburn, you know, I mean, it's it's nuts. Uh, Cole Henry, that guy's got first round talent at LSU. There's there's no shortage of, of ridiculous pitching talent, and, and whether you know is, is reminiscent of any particular year for me, it's hard to. I mean, it's just you know, it's so common. Uh, the, the talent SEC is so much better than it is in every other league, really. Um, especially that front line pitching talent, it just feels like kind of the same old, same old. Uh, but this does feel like a particularly really strong year for those front-end arms. In terms of just jumping outside the SEC quickly, obviously you'll be here to see Ole Miss Louisville opening weekend. You guys had Louisville ranked number one in the country. It's interesting, uh, uh, when you go outside the SEC, in terms of kind of teams that you see as very kind of solid contenders for Omaha, I mean, obviously you've kind of got the Miamis of the world, Louisville, like let's go. I was going to say West Coast. It seems like a little bit of a throwback with Arizona State being pretty good, and you know I don't know how much you expect from UCLA, Oregon State, whatever. But it seems like it, it's a little bit different in the Pac-12 this year than it's been the last couple. Yeah, Arizona State is finally, I think, back to where they should be. It's been a while, you know, really since Pat Murphy left. Um, the first year after Pat Murphy left, the first year of the Tim Esme era, they went to Omaha, and and what was that? Two thousand. 10 or 11, and since then, they, you know, they've just been kind of in a steady decline. Um, until the last couple of years, they've, they've started to, you know, reverse the, the talent and get it going the opposite direction, and now they're, they're loaded. You know, their offense is really, really good. Probably the best offense in the country, or, or right there with, with the other, you know, Arkansas and, you know, Wake Forest, uh, some of the teams that have really explosive offenses, they're right there. 
it's a matter of whether the pitching holds up for ASU, and, and I think I think it'd be better this year than it has been. So, um, but UCLA is, is going to be good as usual, and Stanford uh, certainly both those teams are going to pitch and defend, and we'll see how the, the lineups develop. They both lost some pieces there, but um, you know Oregon State looks like they're going to take a step back from where they have been. They've been so good the last three, four, five years, and uh, uh, they lost a lot. You know, obviously, Abby Rutschman being uh, the most prominent piece, but Kevin Abel. Still not back from Tommy John surgery. They really need that guy, and I don't know that it's going to happen this year. So that, I think that hurts them. Um, and, uh, and Arizona is a team that I think uh, could get back into contention this year in the pack. Um, the last couple of years, they've been knocking on the door and haven't been able to, to break through to get back to regional since they uh, they made that run to the, the World Series Finals a few years back. But um, I like their club, and you know, in Cal and USC look competitive. Oregon could be competitive. So. It's certainly not as deep as, as the SEC or the ACC this year, but uh, it should be a pretty solid league. Jumping back to the SEC, do you? I mean, obviously, Florida gets in at thirteen and seventeen last year, and kind of that fourteen sixteen mark is kind of. I mean, I've, I've covered a couple of Ole Miss teams that have been hovering around that line, getting to Hoover, and that's generally your kind of fence or benchmark or whatever for being a regional team. Do you think that could be tested this year? Like, because uh, to me, there's going to be regional worthy teams at 12 and 18, or maybe yeah. even 11 and 19. And whether that get, they get in, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough sell. But do you think that kind of proverbial benchmark gets tested a little bit this year? Uh, it, it could, you know, because it just depends how how much the teams at the bottom can cause trouble for other teams. You know, I mean, if you've got somebody down there who's seven and 23, uh, and we had two of those teams last year, then uh, it helps other teams kind of pad the resumes and, and build stronger at-large cases. But if there's more parity, you know, if the, if the worst teams are, you know, nine or ten win teams in the SEC play, then um, maybe a couple of those wins come at the expense of the teams that would have won 14 games last year. Maybe instead they're they're 12 and 18. In which case, you know, does the SEC get fewer teams in? I, I think history tells us that if you don't reach that 13 win mark in the regular season in conference play your chances of getting in that large are not very good at all. Um, and, and I don't think that will change, even though the SEC is the strongest league in the country and incredibly deep. I still think you've got to get that 13-win mark. And um, that just seems to be the precedent that the committee has kind of settled on, and I think it's fair. You know, there's something about being six games under 500 in your league versus four games under. You know, it's just a little different. Um, it's, it's a thin margin, but that seems to be the magical number to, to have a chance at it. Last thing I got for you is just kind of a macro thought on Ole Miss. Last year was a such a strange year. It was a group that was very highly touted for Omaha. It was the junior years of the Oxford Four in that number one class. And you know they really, really struggled late April, early May. Kind of really found themselves in Hoover, saved themselves, whatever you want to call it. Host the regional and they end up one game away. And around here it's interesting because I feel like in some ways that – it was used as an indictment against Mike Bianco and like in a vacuum that seems insane because he's a game from Omaha, but then you factor in the you know, that seventeen class and you know, the one Omaha in eighteen years or whatever it is, just like always caution people around here in terms of him building a program with no scholarship advantages and it being consistent yeah. as it has been, just from someone who covers the game nationally, like how do you kind of view where Mike Bianco is at this stage in his tenure at Ole Miss versus maybe, because I think it's, there's a little bit of a difference between locally and nationally. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say, and uh, I've always thought that you know he probably gets too much heat 
from Ole Miss fans, and I get it. You you want to be in Omaha more often. Um, that's that's fair, you know. But considering how hard it is to make regionals every year in the SEC, the fact that he, he basically has done that for his entire tenure. I mean, they're always in the postseason. Um, that's really impressive. And you know, they've hosted a lot. They've been to super regionals. They've won regionals, but. Um, it, it is, and it is, it is particularly hard to do that given the fact that you know Ole Miss and Mississippi State do not have the same kind of scholarship advantages that you got at Vanderbilt, obviously, or um, LSU, or Georgia, or even Florida. I mean, there's I think most of the, the powers in the league have some kind of a, a program uh, that helps them, you know, uh, defray the cost of attendance beyond the 11.7 scholarships, and those Mississippi schools do not have that. And so it's just, just the reality. You know, there are other advantages that they do have. They've got incredible facilities and, uh, and, and fan support, um, and they've done a good job leveraging those things to, to attract talent. But um, it's still not, you know, an easy um, environment to be competitive year in and year out, uh, given the scholarship situation. So... I think, you know, fans need to recognize how great of a job he's done and, and uh, how hard it is to be so consistent. And, and, you know, yes, you'd like to see them get to Omaha more often. I think it, it'll happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, enjoy what you got. I mean, it's really nice to be competitive every single year. It's not easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, it's, it's you know, to me, it's always the goal should probably be to kind of make supers because in some ways supers are a little bit uh, of a crapshoot sometimes just because it's a two out of three and, like, a one in five mark in supers is almost just kind of poor luck at some point. Like obviously, you know, some of it's on performance, right? I mean, some of that's just really misfortune. So I, I agree more. I think that was a very accurate, accurate summation. Aaron, I uh, I really appreciate your time. I'd remind everyone listening one more time: go subscribe to D One Baseball. Those guys do awesome work. Uh, definitely the the overarching source, best source out there for national college baseball news. Uh, appreciate the time, my friend, and uh, I look forward to seeing you opening day. Yeah, man, absolutely. Looking forward to, I always look forward to coming to Oxford and, and certainly uh, getting to spend some time with you, Brian. Absolutely. I'll see you in the press box. Thanks, man. And that was Aaron Fitt. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in it. I thought his perspective, just how deep the SEC is and how close it is, kind of just really one through six in the in the West and really the same in the East. I mean, I think Alabama is lagging a little bit behind in, in the West and Missouri a little bit in the east but it's going to be a fascinating year and a, a hell of a lot of fun honestly to cover the sec this year because of the ridiculous amount of arm talent you had a ton of arm talent last year you had Losey and hancock at georgia you know whoever you, vanderbilt throws out i think they could pull a kid uh just from the middle of campus that throws 95 on the black but point being that seems like to me there's the position players this year to back that up to back up the art top-level arm talent. So going to be an insane year in the SEC, but college baseball is around the corner. I will probably start doing position previews and a lot more preseason stuff uh, probably early next week. I was going to do it at the end of this week, but going out of town this weekend. So probably starting that early next week. Uh, that'll be just under two weeks outside the start of college baseball season. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview a reminder, Mailbag Friday is tomorrow. Participate in the People's Holiday. Uh, send me your questions, tweet me, uh, email me, text me, however you can get them in. Borky and I will be back at it tomorrow, and we will see you then. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.